0: Alright, open up your Bibles with me to Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. We're going to read Titus, chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and then work all our way down through the three verses that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, Titus, chapter 2. But as for you... Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. Um, Let's pray now and ask God to change us and sanctify us through his word tonight. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for this evening that we get to open up your word. What a privilege to each have a copy of your word in our own hands that we get to read and learn about tonight. But Lord, even though we have this physical book in our hands, uh, we know that That will not change our heart. That will not change our minds. What truly needs to happen here is for your Spirit to come and open up our eyes to see and even inflame our affections to love the person of Christ and to follow Him in joyful obedience. We need your Spirit to come in your grace and do this. And we pray that you would do this so that we would grow in sanctification, in holiness, and in self-control. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, Titus 2 is talking about lives that are clearly influenced by the gospel. Titus 2 is saying you must have a life that is changed, transformed, and influenced, shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you truly know Jesus, your life will look like it. It will reflect it. But Titus 2 is also about lives that are used by God to influence others for the gospel. So it's about lives that are influenced by the gospel, and it's also about lives that are used by God to influence and shape others For the gospel. That's what Titus 2 is about. There is a life that is so shaped by the grace of God in it that it becomes an instrument of shaping other lives around it. And that's what we want to be. We want to be people that don't waste our time here on earth, but who are used to the fullest for God's purposes and God's glory. That's the kind of people we want to be. Do you want to be someone like that? Do you want to be someone who is an instrument of God's grace? Who is an influencer of God's grace? Titus 2 demands that if you know Christ. Do you want to be a window? A window through which people see the glory of the gospel clearly. What has to happen if you want to be... uh, Instrument, a window through which people see the gospel? Well, your window has to be clean. The mud and the dirt and the dust needs to be removed. There needs to be minimal distractions in your life from sin in order to clearly showcase the gospel. That's what Paul is all about here. He wants people in the churches to have lives that, according to verse 1, accord with sound teaching or are proper for sound teaching, right? Have a life that fits, that matches. Now, once again, it's not lifestyle evangelism that we're talking about here. It's simply saying, have lives that don't distract. Have lives that give people no excuse for receiving the gospel of Christ. Have lives that force people into the corner of simply hearing your words and not being distracted by your life. Essential to such a life as this, to a life that's influential, that shapes others, that's a a gracious instrument in the hand of God. Essential. The essential quality to this life is self-control. And you've probably seen this throughout Titus chapter 2. Self-control has been the qualification that has found its way into every group. Even if you're an older man, if you're an older woman, if you're a younger woman, self-control always finds its way in every single requirement. This is the essential command that Paul is after in the church. Have self-control. That is how the gospel is seen in your life. Your life is a life of self-control. And as we've already said again and again and again, this is directly connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ chapter 2, verse 11, and chapter 2, verse 12, shows us that God's grace appears and trains us to renounce ungodliness, trains us to renounce worldly passion, and to live self-controlled life. That is what God's grace does in our life. That is why it's so important It's it's important for God's people to live lives that are holy because that is what the gospel is all about. We've also seen and begun to see and will continue to see that self-control is important for apologetic purposes. Some of you maybe don't know what the word apologetics means. It means making an argument for the faith. It means it refers to evangelism. It refers to sharing your faith in an effective and winsome way self control a life that is holy has powerful has powerful evangelistic effect once again the the people who are rejecting you can't jump on the excuse that you are a horrible inconsistent person they look at your life and say wow that makes sense and all they can do is see the gospel through the clear window of your life uh, tonight we are going to focus our attack i mean our attention on the next group of people we've seen Older men, younger, older women, older men, older women, younger women, and now, yes, you guessed it, slaves. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> younger men, it is your turn. Young men, of course, this is referring to those men that are not old. So it's referring to men that are actually could be considerably, considerably old in your eyes. They could be anywhere from you know late teens, I suppose, to 40s. So, it refers to you. It refers to young men. Now, how I want to unpack this is I want to just ask basically three questions. The the sermon tonight is just me answering three questions. I want to look at the essential value of self-control in one's life by answering these three questions. Questions. Three questions. Now, once again, even if you're not a young man, I believe there is clear implication and application for you here in these verses as well. Because, once again, I'll remind you this command, self control, is throughout Titus chapter 2. Um, but the first question, first question, number one question, first question that we're asking here of our passage to help unpack the essential value and quality of of self-control in a young man's life why do the young men get away with only one command why do the young men only get one command from the apostle Paul was Paul getting tired were Paul's fingers cramping it's like I'll just summarize it self-control Was he afraid that he couldn't ask young men to do too much? Did he know that young men have a short memory, so he wanted to make it simple for them? No. Why do young men only get one command? First question, why do young men only get one command? Well, well, first off, I want to be clear, yes, there's only actually one command given to young men here. You may say, well, no, there's not. There's tons of commands here to young men, right? There's, uh, there's verse 7. Show yourselves in all respect to be a model of good works. That seems to be to young men. Um, in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech. That seems to be connected to this command. Uh, young men have self-control. But actually, if you look at it closely, notice who Paul is talking to here. Verse 6. Likewise, urge. Who is Paul talking to when he says urge? He is talking to his representative on Crete, Titus, who this letter is written to. He's, he's commanding, he's, 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 he's calling Titus to urge, strongly exhort, entreat younger men to be self-controlled. And then in 7, he goes back to talking to Titus about Titus. Showing yourself in all respect to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, showing integrity, dignity, sound speech. So really, there's just one command to young men. What is it? Be self-controlled. That's all he says. There does seem to be a little bit of a disparity here, right? Older men get six commands. Older women get five commands and younger women get seven commands that doesn't seem fair at all young men get one command why is this happening reason the reason is the reason is self control is all encompassing i mean you you could you could say everything that a young man needs is wrapped up in a way in the idea of self control as a matter of fact you can't see it but in the original, actually, it, it reads this way. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled in all things, showing yourself to be a model, so that in all things there, that actually ESV and LSB kind of link to showing yourself, actually could go with verse 6. It, it could be saying, uh, urge them to have self-control in all things. It is a, Just by the nature of the command itself, it is all-encompassing. This will wrap itself into every facet of your life this this will transform and change every aspect of your life. This is fundamental. This is what a man, a young man needs. You could say self-control is the linchpin to a young man's life. For those of you that don't know what linchpins are, back in the wagon days, you know the Oregon Trail days where you would, you know, ride across the country until Susie got sick and you had to stop for a couple of days to let her recover from typhoid fever, you know, and then she was better while well, you did some hunting. Back in those wagon days, you actually had uh, wagon wheels that were held onto the wagon by a little thing called a lynch pin. Now, this was a small little pin, and if you pulled it out, the wheel would come off and the whole entire wagon would collapse immediately. Such a small little thing holding together a great big wheel. That is what self-control is. It is just one command, but it has massive, massive power and strength in holding together the young man's life. It is like that small little screw. That small little insignificant screw that is at the very bottom of your car, screwed into the bottom of your oil pan. Seemingly insignificant. Why do I have this here? I'm going to unscrew it and let the oil just run free. But that small little screw holds in the oil that holds your engine together that keeps your big little engine from blowing up. It is a small thing, a seemingly uh, insignificant thing, but it is vastly important. That is the way self-control is. It is one thing, but it is the one thing this one man must have. Otherwise, his life is dead from the very uh, start. Matter of fact... Uh, we talked about this last spring a lot. We talked about self control, and, and the verse that stood out to me was Proverbs 25 28. A man without self control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self control is someone who is defeated. And who is just waiting for the pillaging, raiding armies to come back and take whatever they want whenever they want. That is what a man without self control is. He is completely a victim to the people around him in his life. That is what a man without self control is. He is spiritually vulnerable, easy to destroy and bring down. It's almost as if any. Other virtue could be possessed, but it is worthless without self-control. That is the impact of Paul's words here. You could have so many things going for you, but because you do not have self-control, it is worthless. As a matter of fact, any virtue you do have is a phony virtue because it doesn't have self-control with it. Or you could say it this way. If Satan could make a deal with you in this way, he would. If Satan could give you anything in the world that you wanted, if Satan could give you, you know, skill, good looks, money, opportunity, might, strength, anything you wanted in life, if you had all of that giftedness but no self-control, Satan would take that deal in a second. Because it doesn't matter how much stuff you have, it doesn't matter how many skills you have, it doesn't matter how much opportunity you have, if you have no self-control, you will lose it all in the end. Isn't that just the, the story of Solomon, King Solomon's life? He started out so well, so strong, so much opportunity. And because he kept himself from no desire... In the end, he is simply a beacon to us and a warning of a life without true wisdom and self-control. Isn't that exactly what the story of Samson tells us, right? He is a man who had great giftedness from God to do great work for God, but in the end, his story is just a warning to us. This is what a life is without self-control. It is at the mercy of your enemies. So, the answer. Why is only one command given here to the young men? Because self-control is critically important to the life of a young man. It is critically important. It will be a shield to you against evil and in the evil day. And it will be a shade for you and for everyone that is with you in this life. Self-control has critical significance in the life of a young man that is why it is emphasized but that leads us to our second question why do young men in particular get this emphasis why does paul what does paul make such a big deal out of self control by making it the singular issue in a young man's life well, first off, I'll remind you, self-control is what everyone needs. Older men need self-control. Older women need self-control. It's kind of hidden, but so to train the younger women is, is an idea of training in self-control. And then younger women, of course, need to be self-controlled as well. We've seen that. Every, everybody needs self-control. But but why why does Paul make an emphasis of it by making it the single issue? The answer is... There is something particular in a young man's youth that makes this important. There is something specific to a young man that makes this emphasis so needed, so necessary. What is it? Why Why is self-control so important to a young man? This is where you want to take notes. And by the way, ladies... It's not, that, it's not that this is not significant to you. You're young as well. This will apply to you. This has implications for you. But, but I also want you to see in here, just, just and, and have an imagination a little bit, for the horror of being connected to a man without self-control. Why is self-control so important for the young man in particular? Well, think about it. Think about the great explosion... That is youth. The great explosion. Ev- everything is changing. Everything is exploding, you could say. Your hair is exploding. Your weight is exploding. Your voice is exploding. <laughs> Everything's exploding. Uh, youthfulness also is. R- Rightly, also synonymous with foolishness for good reason, right? Young men are known for their impulsiveness, right? They do whatever they feel like doing. Young men are known for their passionate nature. They get really hot about everything they're doing. Young men are known for their arrogance. They think they can do everything. Young men are known for their vulgarness. They find the most gross things funny. Sometimes it's funny. Uh, oftentimes they find potty humor funny. And that's just a young man for you. Young men are known for their laziness. Oh, how much do I have to do to get an A? That's how much I am going to do. Young men are known for their wastefulness. Young men especially, uh, essentially are known for their immaturity. That, that is a young man. What's a young man? Immature. Foolish. Same word, right? You say, you say childish and young man together youthfulness and foolishness. That's what we see. Matter of fact, J.C. Ryle writes this book, and, he, and it's called Thoughts for Young Men. And it's really, it's actually mistitled, I would say. It's more like a gut punch for young men. It's more like a sledgehammer for, more, for young men. If you are not awake spiritually by the end of this book, it proves original sin. It is an intense book, and he leaves no uh, he leaves nothing out. He lets you have it. He says this about young men. He says it is an easy guess when you run into a young man on the street that you have met probably an enemy of God who is on the broad road leading to hell. It is a simple guess. You know, right? One out of 100 young men that you meet are good. Most of them are enemies of God. That is is the likelihood, as J.C. Ryle sees it. And that was a long time ago. He was an old guy. What would he say now? And... And that might be like the outward expression. That might be the outward reputation of a young man. But perhaps you don't feel so outwardly uh, out of control. But, but I would say that there probably is an inward change that's also happening in a young man as well. And there's an inward change that happens in, in all young people as well that we all know. There's, there's new freedoms that a young man begins to enjoy. A young man uh, begins to become aware of new desires and new appreciations that he didn't know existed before. Uh, a young man has new opportunities that he never knew that he had before. A young man has so many things happening in, at him at once, and it's, a, and, and it's an explosion inside of him at times. And this is true of anyone, and it can be at times scary, it can be frustrating, it can be embarrassing, it can be exhausting. All of this is happening inside the young person, or especially the young man, at this time. And let me tell you this. Without self control, all of these new things, new experiences, new awarenesses, new desires, without self control, these things will produce little idols that will enslave him for the rest of his life. Right? Because the, the the issue the issue for every young person is not biology, but the issue is worship. In everything, in all of these new opportunities and new desires, there is a challenge being put to the young person, to you. It's who will you worship? Are you going to worship the Creator? Or are you going to worship the creation? Are you going to exchange the praise and worship for the Creator for the worship of things that you can taste, see, and touch? Is that what's going to cause your life to hum? Hum and all of these new things will be calling for you to to follow after them in worship. But the question of your young adult years is who will you worship? And young men have a specific have a specific uh explosion going on in their life. But also think about this. Think about secondly, the trajectory of youth. And this is significant to all, I would imagine, but it's significant to young men in particular. Think about the trajectory of a young man. In his his young days, in his youthfulness, he is becoming what he will be. And that is the case. What what you are today, you, you are becoming something. And you will become something that you are being today. I mean, let this put some sobriety and seriousness in your life right now. I'm not going to automatically become manly. I'm not going to automatically become godly. I'm going to become what the series of practices that I have in my life right now are. That's what I'm going to become. Those are the habits that will that will adhere themselves to me and create my character later. That's who I'm going to be. Matter of fact, you could say that the older men in verse 2 are a product, are a result of younger men taking this simple command seriously. Older men are self-controlled. But it's very hard to be self-controlled when you start trying to be self-controlled at age 50 instead of age 20. Matter of fact, you could say it this way. Older men enjoy, enjoy whatever choices they have made in their young man life. Whatever choices you have made, whatever things you have pursued while you're young, is what you will enjoy while you're old. And I use the word enjoy loosely. <clears throat> Think about the trajectory of youth. Think about this also. Think about the the great joy to be found in youth. Now, I don't want to deceive you. I don't want to confuse you. There are actually a lot of God-given joys to be found in your youth. And this is why self-control is so important. Without self-control, you'll miss out on joy today. What am I talking about? Is self-control just some stoic thing that uh, prohibits you from having any fun? I do not think so. I do not think so. First off, look at what it says right here in your Bible about the kind of person that is self-controlled. And we look at this in the example of Titus. He is someone who is a model of good works. He is someone who shows integrity and dignity and sound speech in his teaching. Dignity, integrity, all of these things. Integrity means he has a life that holds together. It's incorruptible. It doesn't come to pieces. It's not falling apart all the time. That sounds like a joyful life. That sounds like a life where you enjoy it and not one that is weak. Dignity is is someone to whom everybody else wants to follow. That sounds like someone who is enjoying their life. That doesn't mean they're without humor, but dignity means you simply have the discernment to know what's funny and what's not. That's what dignity is. You know when to joke, and when you know when to be serious. And people admire your choices. And that's why they follow you. But I also really want to show you something, and show you that there is an actual promise from God for you in these young days to enjoy your life. God actually gives you these days to enjoy. Turn over to Ecclesiastes 9, or Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11. God actually commands you to enjoy the days of your youth. But there's a catch to it. Ecclesiastes is in the middle of your Bible. If you flip it open to Psalms, you just go a little bit to the right, and then you're in Proverbs. And then it's really easy from there, because then you just go a little bit further to your right, and there is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes also has the strangest name, so you can't miss it. Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. God commands this to the young man. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth... And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Now notice what's going on there. Notice, there are not... I mean, sorry, there are some passions, apparently. Some heart desires. Some things are not altogether bad. Some things have been given to you by God. These these youthful desires in you have been given to you by God in order to enjoy this evil world in. Matter of fact, God commands you to enjoy it. This is God's solution for the vain and repetitious life. Enjoy the things that I have given to you. Enjoy the strength that you have been given. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the motivation. Enjoy the passion. Enjoy the drive. Enjoy the enthusiasm now. This is a gift from God. God. But notice, what's the catch? But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Is that God saying, do whatever you want, but just be warned, I'll get you in the end. No, that is unlocking for you the secret of true joy, of true passion, of true enthusiasm, of true satisfaction in today's world, in your youth. And what is that secret? It is self-control. Recognizing that this life is not all there is. Recognizing that these short years of your life are not all of your life. That you will have old age to pay for the choices that you make in this life. And you'll have eternity to pay for the choices you make in your entire life. That is what self-control is. I recognize that for everything, God is going to call me to account for how I have lived these days. But that, my friends, is the secret to truly enjoying this life. Because you enjoy this life in God's way, in God's definition. And you use your motivation to glorify God. You use your desire to pursue things that God wants you to pursue in his timing. You find deep satisfaction in the work of your hands, in the love of your wife, and in all of these things. But this all comes to you, can only be unlocked to you through self-control, the fear of God and self-control. So, the answer to our question, uh, why uh, particularly emphasize this quality for young men? Well, it's because self-control is a gift. It is a gift to whoever finds it. It shapes trajectories. It shapes your joy. It is a protection to you. That is something that a young man in particular desperately needs. Why? Why? Because he'll experience the fruit of his self-control. And he will also lead a family that will experience the shade of his self-control. That is why this is so particularly important for a young man. A young man affects a, a whole group of people, can shape, can influence a whole family full of people can be the difference between a chains, the experience of chains in the life of his wife and freedom and joy and happiness. That is self-control in the life of a young man. But can I tell you one more thing that's uh, another important reason why I think self-control for a young man is emphasized here? Well, think about this. Think about the great grace that makes self-control possible. <laughs> Self-control is not something man-made. Self-control, according to Titus 2, 11 through 12 is from the presence of the Holy Spirit in that young man's life. And the presence of the Holy Spirit in that young man's life is bought by the precious blood of Jesus. What are you apart of? Apart from Christ's uh, gift in the Holy Spirit of self-control, you are someone who, in verse twelve, is given to ungodliness and worldly passion. You are someone who, in verse fourteen, is known for your lawlessness and your impurity. All of these things are yours if you do not have Jesus in your life. If you do not have self-control, that is who you are. You stand at the mercy of everything that is within you. And you are at the mercy of everyone who is without you, who wants to conform you into the image that they would have you to be in. That is the state of the young man apart from the grace of God. And the reason why I suspect Paul is emphasizing self-control is because young men are so stubborn to admit that they need help, to admit that they need grace. They despise being needy. They scoff at needing Jesus. They scoff at needing a Savior, naturally, because of their arrogance. And that is why self-control is so important to emphasize but that leads us to our final question final question so we've seen that one command is given we've seen that it has a specific reason for why it's given final question how then do I gain self-control self-control is of critical importance how do I gain it And ladies, of course, I'm speaking to you as well. You too. How do you gain self-control? But a secondary important question for you young ladies to learn to ask is, how do I know that he has self-control? How do I gain self-control? Number one, you have Jesus in your life. Now, I'm not just saying that as a Christianese phrase. I'm not referring to Jesus in your life like a light fixture. A piece of furniture that you sometimes sit on when you feel like it. I'm not referring to having Jesus in your life as a mere formality. You you pray some sort of prayer and then you forget about it. I'm talking about this kind of Jesus. Having this kind of Jesus in your life. The kind of Jesus that we see here in Titus 2. I'm talking about having the kind of Jesus who is, who he demands to be, according to Titus two eleven through 14. Who is this Jesus that is in the life of that young man who has control? He is one who completely saves you from your lost state. Your lostness and your helplessness. This Jesus appears for no reason in you and for every reason in him and saves you completely by his grace. Because there's nothing that you have going for you in you. It is because God's love for you was set that he came. It's it's this Jesus who alone in verse 5 of chapter 3 saves you. You say to this Jesus, I can do nothing. I am judged and condemned as a sinner before God, and I stand guilty of eternal judgment, and you, God, would be holy and righteous and worshipped to send me there. I can do nothing. I need a Savior. That is what the young man must say. And this is also a Jesus who comes into your life completely saving you and also transforms you entirely. He trains you, verse 12 says. And this is one who comes into your life and and changes the way your affections work and your hearts work, right? You go from loving the things of this world to what? Verse 13 tells you, waiting for your blessed hope. Jesus' return is what shapes your life and your joy and your affections. That is where your hope is set. You, you love him, as First Peter 1 would say. Even though you have not seen him, you love him. That's because he has saved you and he has changed you from within. Ladies, how do you know, how do you know that that guy has Jesus in his life? Well, you see in him an unmistakable humility, wouldn't you? You would see an unmistakable humility in an acknowledgement of sin, in an awareness of his guilt and his shortcomings. And a clear declaration that he saved me, not because of any good things I have done, but because of his own pleasure, and his own goodness, and his own righteousness. He saved me. You would see an unmistakable humility in him. You would also see, I would suggest to you, if Jesus is in his life, an unmistakable sanctification in him. You would see a diligence in him. You would see a transformation in him that might not be overnight, but it will be apparent a month or a year from now. You would see a sanctification in him. You will see what he loves very evidently from the way he acts. And you would also, I would suggest to you, see if Jesus was in his life an unmistakable direction in his life, wouldn't you? You would see that he is going somewhere spiritually. And and you would see him as a leader who's going to take others with him spiritually as well because of the direction that is in his life. Once again, he loves Jesus and is living for the return of Jesus. Once again, he is seeking, because of his awareness of the closeness of Christ's coming, to do everything that he can today to be diligent and to be preparing himself for that day. Because Jesus is coming back Everything in his life matters. The way he works matters. The way he treats people in his family matters. Everything matters because Jesus matters to him. You'll see a man who does hard things and pursues hard things, not because necessarily he loves the hard things themselves, but because he loves the results that those hard things will produce in his life. And, and therefore, you'll find a man who will sometimes ask you to do hard things and to experience hard challenges. Why? Not because he loves hard things right now, but because he wants what's best for you spiritually. You'll find a man who has vision and direction for your future. That's the kind of man that you want to be like. You'll find someone who leads you spiritually. Why? Because he prays for you daily, and he wants what's best for you ultimately. That's what you'll find unmistakable direction and, and there's something else very tangibly that, that you'll see that you'll see in this man's life that's evident that Jesus is in his life as well and that actually happens to be the, the second way you get self-control according to our passage first way you need Jesus in your life in a real and powerful and transforming way But then, look what our passage just naturally tells us. You also need godly men in your life. Or, translate this, you need godly people in your life. You need someone who is mature, who is above you, that can shape God and influence you to move in a better direction, a stronger direction, that can influence you in and train you how to live a self-controlled life. Think about it this way. Self-control is God's grace, for sure, indeed. But it comes through the grace that God gives us in his people. You need God's grace in your life, but you also need God's people in your life. And this is just like the young ladies who so desperately need older women who are wise and discerning to train them how to you know, love their husbands, their children, be self-controlled, pure. They need an older person in their life. The same thing goes for younger men. You also need an older, godly man in your life who will influence you. And to be frank, too many young men these days are influenced merely by the people that are their same age. No, if you want to grow in self-control, you find someone who has self-control, and you learn from him. I mean, just look at how the passage breaks up. Verse 6, right? There's the main command. Uh, urge the young men to be self-controlled. And then verse 7 is seemingly a command, but actually this is a dependent command. It is dependent on verse 6. It, it could be translated either even showing yourself in all respect. And, and the, the sense of this, I suspect, is this kind of explains a bit of how Titus is to teach and urge men to have self-control. How? By personally you showing yourself to be a model of what self-control looks like. He'll show a model in his works, in his good works, but also in his example and in his words. He's going to have words that are sound of speech, that show that the word of God has made an impact in his life, and he now has self-control in what he says and what he doesn't say. And he is going to be a man that is above reproach, that an opponent will be put to shame through. And notice, this is critically important to a young man's training in self-control. You need an older man in your life. Or to say it like this, you you will know who this man is. How? How? By his unmistakable humility. He is someone who who doesn't mock older godly men. He goes to them and learns from them. He is someone who is teachable, who is a sponge, who finds someone who is ahead of him spiritually and just wants to soak in as much as he can. You will also know him by his unmistakable sanctification. He is pushing constantly to grow, and that is seen in the kinds of relationships he sets in his life. You will also know him by his unmistakable direction. He attaches himself to people who are going in the direction that he wants to go. And you will know him by his unmistakable community. He is someone who values sanctification, and he is someone who values the authoritative word in his life, and he connects himself to people who speak truth to him. Not speak people that speak nice things to him but it's people that tell him how it is and where he falls short. He doesn't, he's not like verse 15. He receives exhortation, he receives even rebuke, and he he does not disregard it. And this young man surrounds himself by godly men. You... You could say it this way. You will know who you become by who you surround yourself with. My dad used to tell me, I think he was quoting someone, show me what kind of friends you have and what kind of books you read and I'll show you who you'll become. It's as simple as that. What's going in your mind, what's going in your head, if you have a head, if you have a mind, and who you associate with is who you will become. And ladies, who you will be dragged along after. It's kind of a weird way to say it. In, that, in the spirit of that, some of you remember um, the, the elder at our church, Tim Powell, passed away from COVID uh, a year or so ago. Um, about that time, his wife gave me this big box Apparently he had a secret habit, and and that habit was to, to influence men in any way that he could. And one of his favorite things to do was to give young men a book. Friends you have, books you read, bam, we can do it all right now. So I have all these books that just happen to be the very same book that I was telling you about, Thoughts for Young Men. Now young women, you're like, I don't need this book. I mean, you don't have to take the book, I suppose. But maybe maybe you want to read it. It's free. You can take one if you want. But young men, I insist that you take this book. It's for free. If you already have it, you can give it to your cousin i 'm assuming you have one, but um, anyway, so these are from these are from uh, a friend a friend who just wants to get these in the hands of as many young men as possible. You can take those with you to a small group you can grab them after while we 're having smack snack snack time um, smack time oh boy oh boy self control david all right uh, let 's pray and then we 're going to sing, dear God in heaven, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the challenges of this word, we pray that we would we would all um, have a taste and a desire for more self-control in our life and that would propel this entire group um, and drive us to want these things more and more. pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.